welcome to the New Life Academy podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to provide resources and support for former Jehovah's Witnesses who are ready to reclaim their minds, heal their hearts, and rebuild their futures after leaving a high control group. Through the course of this series, I'll be interviewing former members who have achieved just that, as well as industry experts and renowned authors. And we'll be addressing some of the biggest challenges and questions that a person goes through on that journey of recovery. So I hope you get a lot from this. Tune in, take notes, and always feel free to send in your questions to info at thenewlifeacademy.co.uk. My name's Jonan Ross, and I'll be your host. Enjoy. I'm thrilled to have the great Stuart Pierce with us today. Uh, Stuart's a master of voice, and uh, that's in itself an incredible thing. Stuart does great work, and especially around helping very prominent individuals to find their voice, uh, figuratively and literally, and to really step into that place of radiance after having been, in some cases, in very tyrannical structures which we might speak about so this is going to be a fascinating conversation it always is when I chat with Stuart so uh, thank you very much for being here. Oh Jonan it's my 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 pleasure my deep pleasure and uh, I want I want everybody to know that I am immense uh, immense sympathique for the real bedrock of your thesis you know in helping people liberate themselves from oppressive regimes it's it's right at the core of my nature it's right at the core of my experience and it's right at the core of my my uh, my teaching you know my crafting and my my emancipating as i go around the world yeah yeah and it's amazing we'll talk about your uh, your most recent book um as as we go throughout this conversation i'm <laughs> sure but w- would you like to introduce a little bit of your your background because it's such a fascinating story and i know everyone would love to hear it um, around how you went from where you started up to doing the work you're doing and some of the people you've worked with in that emancipation and the finding of one's voice. Mm. As a child, I saw sound. Mm. I was a very young child. So what I mean by that is that I saw supernatural force, I suppose. I saw... within the joins of the three dimensions that we live of weight, space and time, I saw sound as waves of energy. And it was very dualistic as a child. It would either be gentle and vulnerable and exquisite as a very young child. I found the world difficult to behold. And then there was my mother who was just love incarnate still, I mean, she's been dead for many, 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 over 40 years, and still I moved very deeply and feel that she's very much with me. Mm-hmm. So there would be the, you know, these extraordinary pastel colors around her. Um, but then of course, she wasn't always around. <laughs> and as I moved into education, as I moved into 3D consciousness and traveled through the world, it was very bewildering. And I, 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 and I thought I had a, a different language from everybody else, I spoke, but, people would look at me very sternly and to cut a long story short, I then found that I had grave difficulty in reading, you know, the basic three R's, <laughs> uh, reading, writing and arithmetic. I had grave difficulty. And uh, I think today I would have been described as being borderline autistic. Right. Um, but of course we didn't know about that then. We didn't even know about dyslexia, but I was certainly synesthetic. I had the crossover of the senses. Right. And so just being here in that acute sensitivity was quite challenging to be honest and so I shut up because there was no point in speaking around seven eight nine I just shut up and my brother who's a year older spoke for me so he was my code breaker and we had an intuitive code he could read my mind and I could read his and occasionally I'd grunt or something and he would <laughs> Um, what what happened was that I became very codependent on him and he was a real tough little guy <laughs> and I was fragile and then I and then I woke up one day and started speaking nine, ten years of age. 
And people kept on looking at me strangely and saying, there's something about your voice. There's something about your voice. Now, thus far, <laughs> I'd not received any approbation. So when somebody said there's something about your voice, I saw the kindness illuminate in their energy field. So I went to the light. I couldn't bear the darkness. Mm. And, and, and a lot of the children were so unkind. They were so caught up in competitive cruelty. So I couldn't be part of all of that. So it was very unusual. However, so then, of course, you know, one grows and sex comes in, <laughs> hormones and all of that stuff. And I was trying to find my way through that and discovering my sexuality, you know, which was different from everybody else, it seemed. And, and of course, you know, in the 50s and the 60s, it was illegal to be homosexual and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And um, I never had a problem with it, but the world had a problem. Sure. So again, I just became quiet and moved through. But then people kept saying there's something about your voice. I couldn't do anything else. Oh, by this time, 14, 15, I started to read and I read through sound. I read through singing because my mother said, you know, you're always humming, darling. Why don't we put you into a church choir? So I was put into a church choir, which was amazing. I mean, I love dressing up <laughs> and rituals, you know, and there I was engaged in both. Um, but of course, I couldn't read. I just copied the boys. I was a really good parrot by this point. I just right. parroted everybody. And then I suddenly began to realize that on, you know, singing sacred verse, whether it be psalm or hymn or anthem, I suddenly realized that the waves of energy in the modulation of the melody of the score or, you know, the, the music um, was what I'd seen. Right. In, and I was still seeing it. So I put them both together and I started reading through song. And, and that must have been an amazing um, lead into to just a way of speaking, because the way you use your voice as you're speaking is very, uh, it's, it's not that staccato, the way that's very common is, you know, we learn to speak as we learn to read, which is generally kind of stunted and eh, eh, eh. But as, as you speak, is very mellifluous and has that, uh, that that flow to it where it's uh, the the tone itself is delivering a message as well as the content of the words yes and i, I mean i you know i became acutely aware of the beauty of poetry mm. which was firstly in the verse of the psalm but then in you know I, my mother was a lover of poetry and fortunately i was surrounded by some really intelligent people during my late teens one of whom I fell in love with, you know, and so went through all of that stuff. But they were they were always speaking poetry. So I was always aware of flow. But, I, you know, I threw myself into um, the drama club at school and then suddenly said, oh, my God, you're an actor. And I thought it was amazing because I, I suddenly experienced my first out of body experience in one play mm. where I was looking down at myself and I thought, wow, this is cute. This is really interesting. This is really interesting. So I felt a level of power, which I had not felt before, meaning I was coordinating all of the energies much more successfully. And so when somebody and a number of people said, you know, you should become an actor. I thought, oh, well, I, I can't do anything else. I'll become an actor. Not that my father was pleased with that decision. Uh, and I did fulfill his his request, which was, well, it must be something else you want to do. Nine tenths, nine tenths of the popular uh, of the um, the population of the of the acting industry are unemployed at any given moment of time, and most of them are queer. You know, yeah. oh my god! So um, he says, "There must be something else you want to do." And I said, "Always wanted to teach," and so I taught. I, I trained as an actor teacher and got a teaching certificate, and then went straight into repertory theatre because in the seventies, we still had fifty-two repertory theatres. Today we have two. Mm, wow. So you could literally, in provincial towns, you could go and do weekly rep, bi-weekly rep. You know, you'd have to audition, obviously, and show, you, show your worth. Uh, but that's where we learned how to act, you see. That's where we learned our craft, by working with experienced actors in repertory. And you do weekly rep or bi-monthly you know, bi rep or monthly rep. Today, that doesn't happen. No. Um, so we learned, we learned, we learned how to do it. And then I got into the Royal Shakespeare Company. And then, you know, so I spent the 70s finding myself as an actor, thinking I would be the greatest actor of the 20th century. <laughs> Destiny had another call. Um, and then uh, so, uh, another long story came about where my mother started to die. And my father died, my mother died. They were both very young. And that shifted the whole of my countenance about life. 
and a mentor stepped in, this beautiful woman, who was the Royal Shakespeare Company voice director, and said, come and work for me. Mm. I was out of work, you know, traumatized by my mother's death. Um, and so I, I became a voice coach and in her next breath, she said, and this is woman I want you to go and work with. I don't want to work with her because I'm a diehard socialist. She's just taken over the Conservative Party. So two weeks later, then I was in 1980 walking into Downing Street. Wow. Baptism by fire. Uh, Margaret was wonderful. So that's where it began. You know, if you work with somebody like that, you've got a feather in your cap. So other people came. And I've always been there, really, in my voice coach, coaching role, although I've worked with a lot of young actors in training and I was head of voice at a, one of Britain's leading conservatoire for 17 years and then went to Shakespeare's Globe when we opened the Globe and that's where I get the title from Master of Voice it was given to me there and spent 13 or 14 years there being the Master of Voice and helping Mark Rylands manage the theatre and then an oppressive regime stepped in Mark resigned and then a very dark person stepped in and I tried working with it, but I couldn't. So it tried to destroy me. And so, um, as my acupuncturist said, for God's sake, you're like St. Sebastian, get off that cross <laughs> and, you know, do what you're here to do. And I resigned. This was 2010 and have flown since helping people around the world such as, you know, your own comrades, so to speak, those people who have experienced regimes, uh, whether it be a domestic regime or a corporate regime, or indeed um, a faith-based regime that is about the contortion of human spirit rather than the emancipation of human spirit and helping people break loose, particularly women. Mm. Much, many of my clients, uh, uh, fascinating women so and then I you know, and of course in the late 90s I met Diana and worked with Diana Princess of Wales for two years and helped her and that's what my recent book is called Diana the voice of change mm. yeah I love that but I highly recommend that anyone listening check that out because it's it's fascinating but it's so practical as I was reading it or listening to it I, I was thinking this is so relevant <laughs> to our situation because it's the voice literally is uh, is one thing, but it's so connected to our own just ownership and acceptance of ourselves. And when you grow up or when you spend time in a tyrannical regime, that we're taught to alienate from our own selves, and uh, and we become this this vessel for someone else's agenda to flow through, and. This idea of what I got from your book and from your other conversations we've had is around basically becoming the channel for your own agenda, for your own spirit, rather than someone else's or something else's. And um, stepping into that empowerment is, is something that's so new to people leaving an organization where they are estranged to themselves. So I think there's tremendous value in, in what you're sharing in your work and and that process of self uh, actualization well thank you that's beautiful that's really beautiful i was hoping that you as a millennial mm. that the, my millennial young ones would be turned on by it and i know one or two people say well who was diane i don't really know who she was but and so we start we, we talk through megan we use megan as a cipher yeah. My godchild is your age, and um, oh God, she's so beautiful, just so extraordinary. And going through, you know, going through her own process of emancipating herself mm. at the same time. And she said, she said similar things. She said, "I I love your book because I feel that you were speaking to me." Mm. Yeah, um, it is very. Not personable is the wrong word, but uh, more relatable than I expected. Like as a as a guy, obviously, I'm like, well, how am I going to relate to Princess Diana from the 90s? Like, what possible crossover could there be? But as soon as I got over that idea and just started listening and saying, well, gosh, this is like an exact analog of the situations I'm dealing with and that I'm helping other people deal with too. So when you're helping someone such as Princess Di or, or whoever, whoever else, you've, you've worked with some amazing people, 
when you're helping someone break out of the tyrannical structure, there's a period of chaos that follows, and then they establish their own new order that's more in alignment with them, with their truth. How do you help someone traverse that that process? By condoning emancipation, by condoning their freedom, by holding them very gently in a web of complete compassion. Mm. But in a very judicious way, through a very discerning way. Um, I'm not a believer in illusion. Mm. I'm a believer in reality. I know how I can create illusion. Um, so therefore I live my life as truthfully, as honestly as possible. So I'm there as a, as a truth barometer to help, you know, is that the best choice? Is that, you know, do you really want to kill them? <laughs> yeah. And, and really, uh, you know, really honoring the fire, you see, really honoring the, the rage and honoring the desire of the will, the bravery that it's taken after many years sometimes of breaking out. Mm. I find that fascinating, you know, because that's when our voices become most pure, most organic, most atavistic, you know, they, they show the, the real core primitive nature of the way that we are. But because we're, we are the beings that we are, meaning that we have intelligence, we have sensibility, we have sensitivity, we have a way of steering our way through the world, we have social boundaries, that it's never mad or outrageous, you know, well, it can be outrageous, but it's not, it's not destructive, that's the most important thing, although the intention initially was to destroy self. Mm. And that's often why somebody like yourself wants to get out of oppressive regime, you feel as though you're destroying yourself. Mm. And then, you know, the thoughts of suicide and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it just, it's just, the, the pressure is so intense. And then there's this immense, wow, I, that, that I find fascinating. Mm. So I'm a very great condoner of the power of, of the will and, 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 discerning anger it's full of self-righteousness it's really important it's just simply saying no this will not happen you know it's like i have a story of jesus which i'm i'm very impressed by jesus i mean jesus christ but when he went into the synagogue and the synagogue was being used by the money changers and he overturned the tables and gave a great shout you will not do this in my father's house i know what that means they were defiling um, and we all know what the money changes can be and, you know, all the, all the detritus, all the demonic behavior that goes on around that. It's so avaricious and dark and nasty. Anyway, and it says in St. Luke that he picked up a whip. It doesn't say he hit anybody, but I bet he gave Indiana Jones style, you know. That sort of, I feel that that's an explication of righteous anger. Mm. He doesn't project it onto anybody. He doesn't project spleen or bile. He's standing for a cause, saying this will not happen. Mm. And I feel that that's, um, you know, that's at the core of keen emancipation, that when somebody is not projecting their anger or their bile or their spleen or whatever we call it, um, they're, they're just simply saying, I will not stand for this. I will not stand. Just as we know the women of America stood up against Mr. Trump when they discovered, when we all discovered, that the children were being ripped away from the mother's breasts of those people that were political refugees, but were caught at the Mexican border and were being insanely and inhumanely imprisoned in the internment camps. I mean, you know, I, a client of mine was a journalist who was caught in all of that and spent six months in one of those prisons. Wow. And at the moment I'm mentoring her while she writes the story, because in writing the story, it, was also, it is also an expiation process. You know, it's also an atonement process because the level of trauma was severe. How women would literally sit in their own excrement for days and days and days, you know, 
um, and the ignominy of that, because no, even if we are, um, you know, if we are incontinent, the point is that when we do engage in the the release process, it hangs around, and therefore this huge shame. Mm -hmm. And using that as a as a device to allow other people to understand how even on that level, you see, when basic human dignities are taken from us, that we are made to be inhuman, and how we release and heal ourselves from that. It's a complex procedure, but fascinating. In the middle of all of that, we find our voices. Yeah. And as you said earlier, you know, the skill that I have is to tune people into the song of their soul, is to tune people into I believe that the heart is the seat of the soul to tune people into the heart. And as the great Rumi says, if words arise from the heart, they enter the heart. If words arise from the tongue alone, they don't pass beyond the ears. And of course, this sound is the currency of the Western world. It's very cerebral, slightly nasal. You know, it can take on that sort of degree. I mean, in the United States of America, I mean, it can be really, you know what I'm saying? Oh, oh my God, yeah, whatever. It's got nothing to do with what the soul is doing. It's just to do with, you know, all of this cerebralization. And, yeah. and the noise, you see, isn't it? You know, the noise of technology um, uh, and the noise that's going on in here just through doing, 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 and being a slave to the doing. In that process of, of, uh, of the recovery, the, the anger part and I love the example you use of uh, the story of Jesus where we're stepping into that role of kicking the you know kicking the fraudulent the manipulators out of our temple out of our mind and saying no this isn't yours and you're not going to do this again what I've noticed is many people understandably go into that anger phase and it's hard to get out of it it becomes a, a hell loop where it's uh, it's just unresolved trauma, and and it, the stories repeat themselves either through toxic relationships or other forms of control, or just within the person's own being, where that where they're, they're carrying that with them. So how how would you help someone to to move past that? without invalidating the anger and saying, well, you know, come on, stiff up a lip, get over it. Without doing that, how do you also help someone find that closure that enables them to pass to the next phase? It's a fascinating question. Um, as a child, I was terrified of anger, absolutely terrified, and particularly male anger. And I seemed to create a lot of it. So bullying, mugging, you know, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> And then I suddenly saw in a split second that the reason why it was happening was because they were actually trying to find the root of the anger. So I feel that when somebody's caught in a loop, they're trying to find the core of what's going on, what's going on, what's, we're well, so extraordinary, you see, even though behaviors can be perverse, perverse or um, inappropriate, that we just keep going, we keep going, we keep going. The point is, do you want to do this lifetime after lifetime after lifetime, or do you want to <laughs> acknowledge, identify, acknowledge, and honor? I feel that there are three rituals that we go through. We identify what the problem is. We acknowledge the impact that it has on us. We honor it, and that's when we begin to solve it, because we begin to see oh, that's what it's all about. So in order to enable people to um, find that, if they can't themselves, I always use the because, the because game. Right. And that's, that's a, I call it a game, but it's a deductive process. It investigates or interrogates the feeling. Okay, so you feel angry because, because you're upset. You're upset because they're not listening to me. They're not listening to you because they don't know how to listen to me. They don't know how to listen to me because they're consumed in the anger themselves. They're consumed in anger themselves because they've never been listened to. They've never been listened to because they're not expressing themselves clearly. Oh my God, I wasn't expressing myself clearly. Wow. <laughs> so there you have it, you see. And it's, fa it's a fascinating process because it keeps dropping through the levels to the core. And normally at the base of it, 
normally, delete, that's such a silly phrase, um, right at the core of it is often I've discovered I feel all alone. Mm. Nobody, nobody loves me. I feel abandoned. And that's a terrible space to go into. But if we can go into it on another side, on the other side is something that I refer to as God. Mm. Because actually, we're, we're taught to be alone, and often we're violated to be alone. Sorry, we're taught that alone is wrong. Right. And we're violated into isolation, abandonment, and loneliness. So it's also wrong, because then it's weaponized. Aloneness is weaponized. But actually, if you put another L in the word, it's all one. Mm. So if you break through, you suddenly there is the peace beyond all, the passive, all understanding. There is another energy, which I see the face of the divine, I see the face of Mary, I see the face of Kuan Yin, I see the face of Isis. And whenever I look into the face of Isis, when I really need her, because something is upsetting me, or I don't know what I'm doing, I'm, you know, my ego <laughs> is now relatively balanced, where I simply say, oh God, I don't, I, over to you, What's, what, what should I do? And nine times out of 10, she looks in deep into me and says, doesn't matter. Mm. <laughs> and when you get that divine impulse, then something washes through and it's cleansed. I believe that's true atonement. So I speak of it literally and also metaphorically, you know, because we know that these huge waves of emotion that, to, that move us into spiritual madness mm. are actually existential crises that bring us to the real core of who we are, even if it means initially we're lost in madness. Mm. But they, it brings us to who we, who we truly are. And any spiritual warrior, anybody who has faith, who is dedicated and devoted to the essential precepts of life, that love is all there is, do as you would be done by. Be kind, be compassionate. Don't judge people. And stop comparing yourself, anybody <laughs> with other people. You know, other people, uh, as soon as we start doing this, something remarkable happens within us, you see. Mm -hmm. And that's when um, the, the madness begins to cease because the madness is purely to do with separation and isolation. Mm. Something I very much enjoy about about our conversations is is that much like you, like you just just showed there's a you're informed by things like uh, scriptures and bible and obviously obviously i i imagine being in a choir for a long time you could have the verses and the psalms very much percolating in there for a long time but also you're not um enslaved to some rigid religious structure and I, I think something that many ex-witnesses find after they leave is they'll become very um, uh, skeptical of, of spirituality, especially anything that smacks of a scriptural verse or something like that. Um, I, I, I find it quite helpful to, to transmute my own programming and say, I, truthfully, I get perverse pleasure in this, to, to take the scriptures that were weaponized against me and oh. to, <laughs> to find a different angle <laughs> of, uh, of using that to free myself from the programming. I enjoy that. But how would you um, encourage someone who's, who's looking to find their own sovereignty, who's looking to reclaim their life, and they're scared of spirituality and scared of ideas like God or of of spirit or divinity because those things were weaponized those were the things that was the theocratic gun held to our head saying well obey otherwise armageddon's going to come and smite you so so as a result people can be very uh, apprehensive towards that how do you address that if it comes up in a conversation always through compassion I, um, several years ago, I did a, a, a series of dialogues with, a, with a, a world healer and great teacher. 
and um, they were very successful dialogues. And so hundreds of people came to me. Mm. So my PA was really busy. <laughs> and, um, and young people would come furious with the world, furious, furious, furious with the world, but mostly intellectualizing their own rawness because of being furious with angered, you know, angered parents or like yourself, arising out of oppressive regimes. They would just go on and on and on and on and rant, basically. And as I was saying earlier, you know, there's a place for that because it's a way through sound of getting it out, you know, that a problem shared is a problem halved. There's no, there's no doubt that when we, it's like when we're in terrible pain, if we make sound, it feels better. So I allow it to happen to a certain degree, but knowing for well that it gets caught in a loop, I would say, okay, just pause there for a moment. Let's just take a breath. Because well, you know, we could sit here for an hour and you could just rant at me, but I'm not part of this. And so I would love to be part of it. And I think you want me to be part of it. Otherwise you wouldn't be coming to see me and paying me this money, you know, because it's my job. So there's an energy exchange. I'd love it to be completely charitable, but we have to live, we have to pay the rent. You know? <laughs> um, and controversially, of course, publishing books is actually a very expensive process. We yeah. don't gain, we don't gain money from publishing books. Well, unless you're a, you know, a huge bestseller and a film is made or something. But for those of us who are the, um, the battalions, you know, writing books to bring about the grassroots freedoms, um, you don't make money out of books. Anyway, so there's an exchange. And with the individual, I would often say, okay, just, just pause, just pause. I want you to tell me what compassionate acts that you've done today. And they say, what? what? I said, we need a place for your anger. The reason why you're so angry is people are unkind to you. They didn't show you compassion. So what I want to know is be the change you want to see. Don't just rail at the world. That's intellectualizing, getting caught up in conspiracy theories. And it just goes on and on and on and on and on because this is agile. We've trained it so. And so it's always picking up. <gasps> David Icke says, or you know, QAnon says, what relative to today, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so tell me, what have you done today that's been kind to somebody else? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, when you were walking out of the subway station and you saw that senior citizen, timorous at the top of the escalator, did you stop and say, excuse me, is there anything I can do? When you see that mama and she's got two kids, one on her arm and one in the push, in the push chair, did you open the door for her? as she was trying to find her way into into the grocery store into the supermarket whatever you know when was the last time you went to a senior citizen in your community and just knocked on their door and said excuse me i hope i'm not disturbing you but i just wanted to know is there anything i can do for you can i get some shopping for you do you want your windows clean can i make a cup of tea you know mm. and they would say no i wouldn't do anything like that yeah so i said well what would you do and then I compel them to write love letters. And the love letters go, dear friend, I want you to know that you're loved. I want you to know that you are absolutely extraordinary and that life will turn into a paradise if you will it, if you wish it, if you love it, if you desire it, if you dream it. I just want you to know that I'm sending you lots of love put that piece of paper in, into, a, into an envelope and put it underneath the windscreen wiper of a car in the car park at the supermarket, leave it on a bus seat. Can you imagine? I said, and, they, and they just hang around at a distance. You're not gonna step forward and I wrote it. No. <laughs> There's no self gaining. <laughs> it's just an emission of love, but hang around and see what happens to the person when they go, oh God, no, not a traffic violation <laughs> as they take the envelope from underneath the windscreen wiper. And then they open it and they read it. What happens on their face? Look at the joy you're bringing. Mm. And it puts into balance all of the spleen, all of the bile, that it can be used for something rather than just simply to be caught in its own fiery wheel. Mm, I love that. That's 
devolutionary. I mean, you know, I have so many different techniques like that that I say, okay, now how does that feel? Yes, but, okay, I'm not interested in yes, but. I'm interested in be the change you want to see because that's the thing that's stirring you. That what you, you know, you're feeling the ignominy, you're feeling the treachery, you're feeling how you've been abused. You're, you're quantifying the oppression, but now what are you going to do about it? Because what we see on the outside of us is a mirror of what's going on within. I borrow Gandhi's phrase, and he taught Martin Luther King, and they were both great emancipators, you know, so I'm just borrowing what my teachers have, have given me who, that work for me, you know, so I don't, I don't pass a beggar in the street without engaging them in some level of conversation. I'll tell you a funny story, actually, about magic. Um, this is several years ago, and I was... Um, yeah, living in a certain area of town, which is very salubrious. However, um, I needed to get around town very quickly, and I was doing a series of corporate jobs that are financially very rewarding. And I have a level of expertise and a level of pedigree that sort of decrees that. Anyway, uh, and I got into a cab, and it was uh, um, a certain distance, and it was a £7.50p fare. And I said, you know, take a pound for yourself. And could I have a receipt, please? And I gave him £10. And what came back was £10 and the change and a receipt. And I thought, he's made a, he's made a mistake. So I said, did you make a mistake? And he said, no, Governor, no, no. And I thought, oh. So I was slightly perplexed by it. So I got out of the cab. And then later, I needed to do the same thing. And I said, oh, I think I'll try this again. But then it was a longer fare. And I think it was something like 14 pounds or something. And I didn't have the change. So I gave him a 20 pound note. So take, take a couple of pounds for yourself. and give, Could I have a receipt? He gave me back 20 pound note, the change and a receipt. Now that happened five times. What? Wow. <laughs> it's very, um, it's very illusionist, isn't it? You know, I thought this is fascinating because, you know, thought creates reality. So here I am creating magic. But and then I thought, well, what, what do I do with the money? And I suppose if I were really selfish, I would think, okay, I'm going to use the money for myself. And I thought, no, you're supposed to give it away because it's been given to you, then be charitable. So I walked along the street where I was living and there were about six people, you know, street people. And I just went up to them and I said, tell me your story. And they would tell me the story. And I said, I want to give you some money, but I want you to promise me that you're not going to immediately spend it on alcohol or drugs, or I want, to, I want you to put hot food into your belly and use this money to buy yourself at least three nights in a hostel. Mm. Oh yeah, Gav, yeah, absolutely. And I would say, no, 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 I, I want your truth. And they would say, oh, who are you? Nobody ever speaks to us like this. And I said, I'm really interested in helping you. And sometimes they were liars. Sometimes they were caught in illusion. And I would say, okay, I'm not going to give you any money, but what I will do is give you a blessing. You are going to be in my prayers. And then I go off and find somebody who would, you know, who would really value the exchange with the universe, do you see? So I feel that if we can just be the change we want to see, it begins to quell the fire or transmute the fire into something meaningful that we can then use as an illuminating principle to shine light on the darkness that we've been experiencing. Mm. That's so wonderful. Something I've been thinking about recently that, that has a bearing on that is that there's a lot of activism work in, in relation to this specific organization focused on bringing it down, understandably, and it's important information and all the, you know, child abuse cover-ups and, and all of that kind of thing. That's important to do. But something I've been thinking about is, let's say we wave a magic wand, the entire organization disappears off the face of the planet, governing body, everything, they just go. And the structures aren't there then what are we left with? We're still left with ourselves. We're mm. still left with our own habits and programs and our emotional mm. beliefs and, and all of that stuff. And the, the solution is in what, you, what you've said. It's, it's about that emancipation and stepping into the, the thing we want to see more of in the world. It's actually stepping forward and, and trying to meet that need 
and create what's new rather than only fighting what the old is. So we, we need to create what the next stage is as well. Um, otherwise, we're jumping out of the frying pan and into something else. I think uh, I feel you're absolutely accurate on that one. You know, that all of these constitutions, whether it be JW or the Christian fundamentalism or Roman Catholicism or Judaism or, or the, some of the iniquities that take place within Islam, um, under the disguise of the teachings of the Prophet, may his name be praised. Mm. Um, but these are happening all over the world because we realize that the patriarchal systems are no longer supporting our lives and therefore a devolution is taking place. Um, so we begin to realize that they're actually organisms that we live our lives out through to discover who we are. If we have a couple of whips to rub together to discover who we are, or you know, we, we subscribe to someone who is courageous, who does know who they are, that we can just lean into and I feel that we've, we've just allowed ourselves to be freed from the potential of a tyrannical regime that could have divided us to such an extent that the Western world could have succumbed to something really gross. Mm. And while it was brewing, um, I, I always look into great poets or great philosophers, and I found a poem that was written at the beginning of the 30s when the smell of the Third Reich was beginning to arise. And part of it says, thank God our time is now, when wrong comes up at every turn, never to leave us till we take the longest stride of soul we humans ever took. It takes thousands of years to wake, but will you wake for pity's sake? Mm. So again, if we can see that actually all we're trying to do is to find our way back to compassion, find our way back to grace, find our way back to love, find our back, way to back to charity, find our way back to pity. Not, oh, but for the grace of God go I. That's nothing but the ego. Pity is really to do with the, the whole nature of the way that we can hold someone in their grief mm. and remind them that all conditions are temporary. This will pass. Even if it appears to be terminal, it will pass. Mm. Yeah, that's such an encouraging message for people to not just hear, but internalize and allow that to, to resonate and in, inform our decisions. Um, in therapeutic work, we, we do a lot of inner child work and that kind of thing where we console our younger selves. And a huge part of that is just allowing ourselves to realize look, this, this can and will come to an end and there is something better at the other side of it. Um, mm. When we step into the unknown, sometimes it's, it's that better the devil you know thing that I think you've mentioned before. We're tempted to, to go back to something similar. We've come from a place of anger and judgment and battling against. And so then when we're out here, we're like, well, what do I do? I guess I'll, I'll be angry and judgmental and I'll battle against. Um, but we're still just doing a different flavor of the same thing. So, so as you Absolutely. shift gear into creating more of what we do want so that then mm. when the old goes, we're not left with a vacuum. And that's powerful. And of course, it's so difficult when we're going through the existential crisis. Mm. It's so difficult. But if we have somebody who's just tethering us with hope, who's just there, not trying to fade it or hide it or fix it, but just there, giving us constructive measures to muscle up within the drama so that we can see, what does it mean? Why, what is this? Why did I choose this? Mm. And then when we're through it, we begin to realize, oh my gosh, I mean, it's very humbling. I've just endured. I've just learned endurance. I've got my stripes, you know, I've just learned in Stuart, because if fundamentally I feel that, you know, life is, has its viciousness. It says in A Course in Miracles, you know, that the ego is suspicious at least and vicious at worst. Life is very vicious. It's very raw. And COVID, of course, has been one of the most raw 
things that have happened to us, global phenomenon and the economic uncertainty that's come as a result and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if, you know, if we can just see, wow, look how brave I've been. That was enormous, what I've just been through. <sighs> Thank God it's over. And, you know, because I, 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 going back to the question you put to me earlier, I suddenly had a flash in my consciousness of, as a late teen, I wanted to be a priest. I, you know, I really fell in love with the notion of the ministry. And, um, and I was involved not in, 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 an, in an aspect of Protestantism, which was Anglo-Catholicism. So we, it was still the Church of England, but we celebrated mass with all the bells and smells, you know, it was just theater and ritual and liturgy, which I found extraordinary because it allowed me to be able to live through the beauty of that process and give to the wonder of what I felt um, the, the Holy Communion or the sacrament was all about, you know, the, what Jesus was all about. And then the, um, the community in the church, even though I was the youngest member of the parochial church council, so I rose in people's estimation and I was, I was gifted things. And then I went through an existential crisis, which was to do with love and the breakage of love. And I felt very betrayed. And then the community turned on me. There was no compassion. There was no holding. I felt so betrayed again. So I ran. And I ran to a Buddhist monastery in Scotland that had just opened, a Tibetan Buddhist monastery, and banged on the door. Let me in. And the monks let me in. Sam Ling. Yeah. In Aberdeenshire. And the monks let me in and took me to the abbot. And the abbot had such kind eyes. And he said, what is it, my son? And I said, I want to be a monk. And he said, why? And I feebly told him why. And he said, okay, so stay for a week and work with the brothers and they'll show you the ways because we're a self-sufficient community. And then come and see me next weekend. And you know, he rang a bell or whatever. And somebody came, brother Alsam, I think his name was, came and looked after me and showed me the ways. And I thought, this is it, this is it, this is it, contemplative community. And so, <laughs> Um, I went back a week later and the abbot said, um, and what have you discovered, my son? And I said, um, Father, I want to stay. And he said, okay, so give it another week. <laughs> so, and then the, the second week, I began to realize, wait a minute, this is really restrictive. Wow. And then I began to see the internecine conflict and you know, the domestic conflicts between the brothers and, but wow, this is supposed to be holy. And I went back to see him and he said, what do you feel? And I said, I'm having doubts. And he said, oh, thank God. <laughs> so he said, okay, stay on for another week, then come and see me. So I stayed for a third week. And then of course, I really saw what was going on. Of course, the whole point of their experience is that the, the conflicts come up, but they use prayer to transmute it. Right. I wasn't into that. I was 18, 19. I wasn't into that. So I went back to see him and I said, I think I made a terrible mistake. He said, oh my God, I'm so relieved. Your destiny, Stuart, is to be of the world, not not of the world. Mm. Now that experience taught me a tremendous amount because suddenly it put everything into proportion that where, wherever I go, I'm going to find the same thing because this is merely a screen for my consciousness. It's not happening to me, it's responding to me. So what am I going to do to change that? I have to change this. Mm. I have to change what I'm feeling and thinking. And that brought um, some really interesting answers. Mm. Yeah, re reclaiming that locus of control for ourselves. I love what you just said about the, the world isn't happening to us, it's responding to us. And, and taking that perspective and, and looking at life with that question in mind of, okay, how, how am I creating or how can I create? How do I want to? is far more empowering. And that's, that's not the place that we've come from. If we're from a tyrannical structure, that question was not, um, a part of our vocabulary but but adding it puts us into the role of creatorship and, and then you're you're raised above the the regime that held you in place and, and they can't hold you from that from that uh you know i've lost my words you know what i mean they can't hold you from that distance 
And you see it within that, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you found this, but the levels of courage that you found that you never dreamed you had, because all of that courage you'd given to the master or the mistress who were effectively your oppressor. And as soon as you realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, what, what am I doing? What am I doing? This doesn't feel right. Mm. The ideology does not sit within the experience of my flesh and makes me feel good. It doesn't make me feel good. And I, I want to feel good. And that's when we start to, to break out. So we realize that it's not to do with this. It's actually to do with a deeper consequence. It's to do with the way that we're feeling. But we're here to create through love and joy, optimize our creative energy. Um, I've only just started, you know, creating. I mean, I've been using my time very profitably for the last 50 years. I'm at the end of my 60s, but I've only just begun, you know, I've only just, it's all just making sense. <laughs> so in other words, I feel the length of our lives about getting all of the dots lined up and interconnected. Some of them go, but you know, it's, just joining the dots. Oh, that's what it's all about. And one of the things that I've learned crucially about me is that the answer to it all is stillness. Mm. Just getting still and listening. Yeah. And Which is strange because it's antithetical to making sound. <laughs> yeah. But actually the sound comes out of the stillness. Mm. It's, it's having the courage to do that. You mentioned courage a few sentences ago, and I I do feel that that courage is the the thing that bridges the gap between being trapped in a loop and being brave and courageous enough to become still and to sit with it and to feel through it and to come out the other side, and and, and that's something I think everyone listening to this has just by virtue mm -hmm. of the fact that they're even here listening if they've heard this then they're tremendously courageous even if they don't even if they don't feel it that's that they're probably the most courageous ones because despite mm. not feeling it you, you've still made that leap and are making that progress which is you know I, i'm amazed by the people i speak to and work with in this mm. i hear you i hear you and i read it in you you see so i'm deeply humbled by your courage and the wisdom that pours through you as a result of the oppression that you were experiencing and then removed yourself from. Thank you. And for me, you know, the overarching process of what's happening, you know, if this hopefully pro provides succor for anybody who's listening in, is that there is a force within the universe that wants us to be free. Martin Luther King said the moral arm of the universe is long, but it always bends towards justice. Mm. And justice meaning the, the balance of the scales, you see. So when we're presumably, I mean, you know, the experience that I've had of being oppressed is that everything is out of balance. And the unfairnesses just keep coming and coming and coming. And of course they can be physical, they can be brutal physically. Mm. Um, why, God, why did you do that, you know, as a news, rolled up newspaper hits you around the head? Yeah. That suddenly we find a way and there is a force right now in the world which is bringing about vast change, which will bring the divine masculine, the divine feminine, into balance. But of course, in order to get there, all of the establishments, all of the establishments, because they're all based on patriarchal constructs, which is all about conditions. It's not about unconditional love. It's all about, you should do this. You ought to do this. You will do this. It is your duty, your responsibility, and your obligation to do this. And of course, it's enforced, as we know, with a great deal of passion and often a great deal of anger. All of this needs to cease because they're all about conditions. It's not about unconditional love. It's not about loving, uh, you know, allowing uh, a young person to become free, to dream their next level of reality into creation. It's all about, no, be, you will do it this way. Mm. That needs to crumble. And I feel that, you know, it's one of the reasons why we've manifested COVID because it's taken us into this time of social isolation where we've had to sit in the shit, you know, it's like all, all, the, all the 
God, I feel so lonely, or I feel so depressed, or what am I going to do? And then suddenly, if we drop through, what happened to me in the global pause last year was that I suddenly heard the voice of the Divine Mother speaking to me. This is where I want you to come. But we can't hear that. We're... <laughs> it caught up in the noise, even if it's the, no the noise of the machines or the noise of our anger, the noise of oppression, et cetera, et cetera. But we just need to find a moment of stillness. I feel that that's hence my story. That's why I shut up, you see, because it taught me stillness. And my mother was very pleased because my mother was always saying, darling, you have two speeds, very fast and very slow. You must find a middle. Well, in stillness, I found the middle. Mm. I was always careering around, you know, I'm a bull. I'm born under the sign of Taurus. And sometimes that meant that I was non-present and I would smash something. Um, and she was always very non-guilt based. So she wouldn't say, let's not cry over spilled milk, but next time, could you please be a little bit more present? But then the energies would catch me. And uh, anyway, so through stillness, I know that it's stillness and weight have been the two principal keys in the whole of my experience in not feeling enough mm. in the face of something that I wanted to be part of or was impressed by or wanted to have fun with and learn by, that I would just be still and listen. Mm. And suddenly all the nerves, all the fear calms down. And then we hear the still small voice in the calm leading us. And that's something that I now teach, particularly with high level corporate operatives who feel that they need to do, 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 to be seen, to be doing, to be effective. And I would say, look, you're already very accomplished at this, otherwise you wouldn't be in the position. But have you ever thought about being still and just listening? You know, because a lot of people at the moment, particularly the ladies, um, because of Zoom meetings over the last year are saying, how can I be heard? They won't listen to me. So I said, have you ever tried stillness? And they said, no, tell me about it. So I said, try stillness. They'll still notice that you're there, but you're being very still. And somebody, particularly the chairperson will say to you, um, do you have anything to say? And then you've got permission to go blump. Mm. And there's such a triumph that's achieved through stillness, because when we're still, of course, we really come into self. So we, we, we um, inhabit that other zone of weight, of groundedness. And if we're there, you know, da, 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 nobody wants to listen. But if we really come into the weight, the gravitas of our beings, this actually, from an archetypal point of view, is what all authority figures have if they are pure they have this weight and then if you dispatch your information through weight everybody goes wow that's amazing because it's magnetic mm. yeah this is is fascinating i know you have a i know you have another call that you have to get to Ooh, i do yes um, thank you. but to i very much appreciated this conversation this has been fantastic um do you want to share your your website where people can find you and keep track of what you're doing and i know you're doing a lot at the moment and you have the the new book and everything so do you want to tell people where to go so they can follow you and thank you yes um very active youtube youtube channel so mm -hmm. please go to youtube and just click on subscribe you'll see lots of lots of videos out there uh, www.dianathevoiceofchange.com will lead you to the wonderment, or please Facebook, Stuart Pierce, Master of Voice. Um, Instagram, Stuart Pierce, The Voice. I think my PA created the account for me, it's so sweet. Stuart Pierce, The Voice. <laughs> I send that one up. He said, oh, I thought you'd like that. I said, I do, but. Yeah. Um, uh, they're probably the best channels, stuartpierce.com, stuart at stuartpierce.com, my email address. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Wonderful, wonderful speaking to you. Thank you for tuning in and listening. I get so much satisfaction from putting these podcasts together, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. So you and I both know that there's a severe deficit of guidance and advice for people in our situation. And... 
people just don't understand. And that's not their fault. So my intention with this is to make a resource, to make a collection of resources for people in our situation that's speaking our language so that we can understand it and get the support and the resources we need to be able to build our lives and heal. So if you know anyone who you think this would be helpful to, please feel free to share it. If you have any questions or any topics that you'd like to be discussed on future episodes, email them in. And if you want to find out some of the other resources that are available, there are free resources, there are consultations available, and there's one-on-one session work too, check out www.thenewlifeacademy.co.uk and it'll be great to connect with you. Have a great day and let's speak soon.